This is Small Talk with 101 ESPN's Michelle Smallman. Presented by Liquid Spirits Beverage Catering Company. Hey, what's up? Welcome into episode 57 of Small Talk. I'm your host, Michelle Smallman. And we mentioned this at the end of the podcast last week, but... For Tom, Steve, and I, our fall sports schedules are starting to ramp up. So because things are getting a little bit crazy and it's hard to get us all together at the same time, we're going to be working in some fun guests, some interviews on the podcast again. Tom is going to join me a little bit later in the pod this week. And Steve is going to be back in action with us next week. But we have a great conversation on deck for you today. We're going to chat with Sarah Spain. You've seen her. You've heard her. You've read her on ESPN. She is one of the most prominent voices in sports media today. And she's being awarded for it. She's really racking up that hardware. Gracie Award, Peabody Award, Sports Emmy, Dan Jenkins Medal, 40 Under 40, and that's just to name a few. So I'm so pleased to have her join me for a chat today. She's the host of Spain and Company on ESPN Radio. It's Sarah Spain. Sarah, thank you so much for taking the time to join me. How are you? I'm good, thanks. All right, well, I saw on social media that it was your birthday yesterday. So, first of all, happy birthday. Thank you. And I've hung out with you before. You're a great hang, solid hang, always a good time. And I imagine that young Sarah Spain would really throw down on her birthday, always really turn <laughs> it up. So, I want to know before we get started, what is the most wild birthday that you've ever had? I'd like to think I'm still young. Some would argue I'm still young or that, you know, youth is just a state of mind. And I celebrate my birthdays to this day as a youthful, probably early 20-something. Um this year's party is not until the end of the month. So yesterday, the actual birthday was pretty chill. Um, but every year, I throw a massive costumed party, usually involving a boat that goes out on Lake Michigan for fireworks and open bar and all that. Um, I would say probably last year and the year before were two of my best. Last year was Saturday Night Live themed. So it was everyone in character from Saturday Night Live. And we went to the Saturday Night Live Museum in Chicago and then Cheeseburger, Cheeseburger, and then Harry carries, and then I'm on a boat. So that was a good one. And the year before, we recreated Ferris Bueller's Day Off uh, as best we could, which could never actually happen all in one day. But we did, you know, uh, instead of lunch, we did breakfast under Abe Froman and then went outside the Board of Trade and then the Art Institute to stare at, you know, Sunday Le Grand Jatte, and then took a trolley to Wrigley, went to the game, twisted and shouted, took the trolley and did – uh, Donka Shane and all that stuff, uh, and then raged at like just a fun place that was outside with margaritas that has nothing to do with the movie. Um, I would say two of the. I, oh, I also got driven to the party in a Lambo because Ooh. I was I had, I had tracked down the, the red Corvette from the movie, and then somebody bought it a week before the party, so they no. couldn't like lend it to me anymore. So it was still cool, but it was the gray Lambo instead. But so you have to arrive in style if you're going to be Ferris Bueller. Um, so, yeah, I don't think it was those were necessarily like the drunkest and craziest, but I think those were our finest showings in terms of uh, everybody, you know, coming out strong with the costumes and the raging. Do you have a drunkest and craziest? I'm trying to remember. I mean, I can guarantee it. Definitely if it was that drunk, you wouldn't remember, though. <laughs> yeah, when I lived in L.A., I'm sure there was one of those that was just, you know, blackout city, but uh, I can't recall it at the moment. One more thing about the birthdays. Both of the things that you referenced seem to be very involved and have a Chicago theme. So what is this year's theme? This year's theme is not connected to Chicago, but uh, it is very involved. It is musical legends. Mm. And so my friend is part of this boat club that has uh, like a dock party area right in like one of the harbors in Chicago. So in character karaoke dockside with food and booze and everything. And then we take a party bus 
to go out on, on the boat that we always go out on with the fireworks and, and all that stuff. So there'll be a lot of um, a couple shares I've already been told about. Um, and then hopefully a lot of surprises from friends who I, I don't know what they're going to be yet. And my costume is top secret. Okay. Well, do you have a go-to karaoke song? Actually, it's nothing but a G thing by Snoop <laughs> and Dr. Gray. <laughs> I, uh, I actually used to be a singer, and I had to get surgery on my vocal cords, uh, which is why I have such a nice, lovely, feminine, raspy voice. Uh, because it didn't really take uh, – I mean, the surgery took, but it, my, my voice almost immediately started to uh, – uh, fall back into this as I have nodes on my vocal cords. And so now I'm very limited in my range. I can sing mostly men's side of songs and then rap. So. <laughs> oh, my gosh. We have the same thing. I have the polyps and nodes on my vocal cords, too, which is why I have such a gravelly, deep voice. And I'm yeah. too afraid to have the surgery. Oh, uh, well, I had it back in college because I still had aims on potentially singing uh, as part of my career. And uh, when it didn't really, I mean, it took... My voice got significantly higher and was healthier, but I mean, I didn't drink at the time. I didn't have like, you know, foods that were inflammatories. I talked differently and all that stuff and it still started to go. So it just was like, it was never going to be realistic. So here I am. This is so interesting to me. What type of singer did you want to be? Were you more of a classical singer, an opera singer? Did you want to be kind of a pop singer? I just, I'm trying to picture young Sarah Spain with the voice (laughs) of an angel. Yes, I was classically trained, so I did sing some opera and more, you know, classical Italian and French and stuff. Um, but I really wanted to be on Broadway. That was my that was my dream when I was growing up. I could absolutely see that. <laughs> you could do Sadly, a, you could, wasn't meant to be. You could do like a. Do you watch the Real Housewives at all? I could see you doing a much better version of a cabaret. Um, I could I could probably still do that with the current <laughs> voice I have. That's I could I could belt out some real sultry. Uh, very low tunes, but yet it, it sucks. I mean, I, I, over the years, I've gotten more used to it and, and just being okay with it. But I mean, you know, it, it sucks to have something that you care about and that you worked hard at not be like something you could do anymore, you know. But at the same time, I try to look on the positive side and in the sports world and in the radio world, a nice gravelly low voice is, you know, more appreciated for a woman talking sports than like super high. So, you know, it's got to be positive. Absolutely. So you had these aspirations of becoming a singer, but I know you were a collegiate athlete at Cornell. So I'm assuming that growing up in Chicago, you were always a really avid sports fan. Yeah. So when I was growing up, I wanted to be on Saturday Night Live and I wanted to be on Broadway. And I was super sporty, but my parents aren't really into sports. And so it just never occurred to me to do it as a job. And also I was sort of limited growing up in my fandom. I was in Chicago in the 90s Bulls era, so I was obsessed with Michael Jordan and the Bulls. But I wasn't as into other sports because they were never on in my house. We watched tennis because my parents liked tennis, and that's about it. So, um, I, But I was you know, six feet tall by the time I was 12, so I was just beating people's asses and dominating sports. And so it's very easy to fall in love with something that comes naturally to you. So I was playing all the sports. I did basketball, field hockey, and track in high school. I got recruited for all of them for college. Ended up choosing uh, track and doing heptathlon at Cornell based on wanting to go to the best school and also I wanted to be sure I was doing Division One so that I was, you know, small fish in a big pond versus um, I had gotten recruited to, to play like all three if I was at a Division Three level. And it felt like it wouldn't be a big enough step up and a big enough, you know, wanting to challenge myself as much. So, um, yeah, so but I also did band and chorus in high school. 
Um, so I was basically just like involved in everything possible. So you grew up obsessed with Michael Jordan. I'm assuming now that you are such a prominent sports broadcaster and based in Chicago that you've met him at some point, right? I have met him several times. Each time I have been uh, creepy and stalkerish and uh, just on the brink of a restraining order. Oh, go on. Do tell. <laughs> uh, well, listen, the first time I met him, I was at my gym in Chicago. I was home for Thanksgiving break or maybe Christmas break. Either way, he showed up to play uh, pickup at this like indoor basketball. And I had plenty of times before that signed up on the little sign-up sheet and played. And I didn't that day. And I was, like, kicking myself for it. But I met him very briefly before he left and, uh, you know, just, like, was a freak and was, like, drooling and acting like a weirdo. Um, but it was before, like, camera phones and everything else. So I really just got to, like, shake his hand and tell him how much I loved him and that I, you know, used to live nearby in Lake Forest and blah, blah, blah. So then fast forward. Um, oh, also in high school, I almost met him when he was at his restaurant after a Bulls game. But I did touch his car and his car keys and talk to his bouncer and gaze at him from two feet away as he left the restaurant. But that was as close as I got. Then I met him in Indianapolis at a Super Bowl party that he had snuck into in the back for Dwight Freeney, I think, from the Colts at the time was throwing it. And I was working the red carpet, and I heard someone say that he was in that, like, you know, roped-off area. So I weaseled my way around to the back and essentially talked my way into taking a photo with him by being a total freak and being like, you know, I used to live right down the street from you. And if I stood on top of my car, I could see over your gate. And I had this big plan that on Halloween, I was going to come to your house and then like fake a seizure. So you'd have to bring me inside. And when you got divorced, my mom emailed me and was like, you still got a chance. And, you know, all my numbers were 23 and all my marks in college for track were like tape, you know, made into the shape of 23. And I used to eat Michael Jordan's secret stuff candy before I, you know, did my like triple jump and just a freak, just a total weirdo. Till eventually he, I think was like, this will probably end faster if I just take this damn photo with this weirdo. <laughs> So then we took a photo, and uh, Charles Oakley took it because the bouncer in the VIP was having none of it because he was mad at me for talking to Michael. And Charles Oakley's finger is in the corner, but you could still see the magic of me and MJ together. And then maybe like four months after that, uh, his kid had a graduation party at this like club kind of like a music venue in Chicago called the Park West. And my friend that I worked with had been like almost like an au pair for Juanita Jordan and the kids on vacation a couple of times. So she invited me. So it was like maybe 20 adults and then the kid and all of his high school classmates and Drake and Lil Wayne performed. Oh and God. there was like this area that was just for the adults. And so Michael was by himself and I went up to say hi and he remembered me and he was like, what are you doing here? Uh, probably because he thought I was again stalking him and was pot potentially, you know, dangerous to his well-being. Um, but I was fine. And then we chatted for a little bit and then I um, really... Uh, classily handed him a card that had my headshot from acting and my phone number on it. And I told him if he ever needed anything to give me a call, which was uh, very classy of me. And he never called me. <laughs> and then I met him one more time at his restaurant. Have you seen him now that you're an established person in the sports broadcasting industry at all? I have not. I have not seen him in several years. We're estranged. I would say <laughs> I'm, I'm certain that he misses me. Um, also, it's probably for the best now that I'm married, uh, since I'm you yes. know, able to control myself in every situation and with every other person on earth, except for apparently Michael Jordan. 
I imagine him at some restaurant or maybe an airport. Well, let's be honest, he has a private jet. He's not at an airport watching right. at a bar. but On his jet. On yeah. his jet, watching around the horn, saying to someone casually, like, yeah, I met her once. <laughs> Twice. Yeah. She showed up a think. lot. <laughs> but Sarah, when you when you talk about Michael Jordan and your love for him and your love for the Bulls, I can hear that passion in you, that Chicago sports passion. And that's one thing I always really admired about you is that you've always maintained that love for your city and that love for your teams. And I've always wondered, as your career advanced, I'm sure there's been many pressures or pulls at some point in your career to move to New York or L.A. or even Bristol, Connecticut. But has it always been really important to you to stay loyal to Chicago and remain in Chicago? Yes. You know, I've definitely given up great opportunities, monetary opportunities, you know, chances to be on really high profile shows and, and build my career in my name. But um, I would say about seven or eight years ago, I really decided that all my decisions for my career would be based on whether I would be happier because of that decision or just, you know, richer or more famous. And if it didn't think it would actually make me happier on an everyday basis, then I wasn't going to do it. And I don't really want to live in New York. I don't think I would be happy if I lived in New York on a daily basis. So those opportunities don't, stand out to me unless it's like my dream gig. Like if the dream job showed up and I could only do it in New York, then it'd have to be something I really thought about. And, and same goes for other places. Like I, I actually would, I lived in LA for six years. If there's anywhere else in the country that I would be willing to go to and it wouldn't be as much of a stretch, it would be LA. But I love being in Chicago. And there's something about sort of being in a bubble in my career in this industry that I think allows me to work really hard and still have the same overwhelming amount of work as other people. But then as soon as I'm done, I can sort of click it off and be with my friends and family here, mm -hmm. which is very different than if you live in Bristol or even if you live in, you know, New York or LA where there's constantly shows being produced and things that they can have you pop in on. You know, I miss out on those opportunities, but I'm also just not available for them, right? Like I can call into sports center or I can go to a studio if they really need me. But it feels a little bit more insulated. And so, um, you know, the amount I already work is takes up a ton of my time and energy. But then at least I do have the opportunity to have a life here that's separate from that. I think that can be really hard to do, especially in Bristol. I'm sure you remember that. Yes. Uh, oh, yes. And, and so, yeah. And, and then I also, you know, you hear all the stories about people in the industry who say that they've sort of lost their love of sports. They still like the, the job. They still like covering it, but their fandom kind of goes away and they get sort of cynical about everything. And part of that, I think, is probably because they become distant from the actual events, right? If you don't live anywhere near your teams, you're not going to go see them. And it's hard for me sometimes because my current schedule makes it tough to go. You know, my radio show, we're prepping starting around 3.30 my time and we're done at 8. So I can't really go to a 7 o'clock Bulls, Blackhawks, Cubs. I also can't really go to like a one twenty. Cubs because I have to leave like with an hour and a half left. So I'm kind of in a position where I don't get to go as often as I would like, but I still can. Like Wednesday, I have an hour show. So I'm going to the Cubs game after that because I really want to maintain that vibe of like being a fan and be able to connect with the people that are watching and listening because I still feel like one of them versus I think, you know, I remember when I started at ESPN 1000, I was doing updates. Some of the hosts would like be like talking about bears tailgating and how it's not really fun and no one does it. And I like literally went in and turned on my mic and I was like, when was the last time you went to a bears tailgate? <laughs> and they were like, Ooh, Oh, no, actually it's probably been seven or eight years. And I'm like, then why even say that? Like, you don't really know. And so I just want to still be able to, even though I have an informed opinion that has 
sources and connections and obviously is more than the average fan, I still want to be able to connect with them and their experience with sports so that I don't lose like the whole reason that I got into this. That's such a good perspective. As someone that was in Bristol and then is now back home, you're so right on so many levels. Working in Bristol is amazing. As you know, you're there often because you're surrounded by so many smart people in your industry, people that know so many things that you can learn from, and there's all of these opportunities, and it's like being at a media college on steroids. But with with that being said, that's all you have. So there is no separation of church and state. You're hanging out with people from work. So when you're going out for margaritas while you're with all these great, amazing people that you've developed these relationships with, you cannot escape sports and you cannot escape work. And I know when I came home, this blues run has really just reinvigorated the sports fan in Uh, me. I know, I know. We're going to talk about that. But it's one of those things I thought about, and I'm like, if I was in Bristol when this happened, I would have never felt the same way. It would not have been the same if I wasn't on the ground and being at the rallies with the fans and getting to go to the games and feel that energy inside the arena. And so I think that's so great that you're so cognizant of that and that you realize that there is more to this than and money or fame or whatever it may be. Totally. And it's interesting because, you know, Jamal Hill is one of my big mentors in the industry, and she was super helpful to me early on when I got to ESPN. And she would always kind of joke, can I swear on this podcast? Of course you can. Or should I? Okay. She, yeah, so you can. She would always, yeah, she would always kind of joke and be like, yeah, yeah, like Chicago, Chicago, like eventually they're going to offer you that fuck you money and you're going to come. And so I always had that in the back of my head, like, oh, sometime I'm just going to do that. And I've really just not, I've really been able to look at it and say, it's not worth it. Like I up, uproot my husband and my kids. We just bought a house a couple of years ago. I wouldn't be able to have all these amazing adventures with my friends and my family. And like, what am I going to do with all that money other than just like spend it on long weekends, getting away from Bristol to see my friends. Mm-hmm. Like, you know what I mean? Like, definitely. That's what um, I did. <laughs> and and that's, I don't begrudge anybody else, their decision-making like, and there's a part of me sometimes that wonders like, what I'm missing out on because my ambition doesn't overtake my desire for balance. Um, But I don't know that that's a healthy way to live is to just wonder about what's on the other side. I think my choices are based on really trying to understand what it means to be happy and what gives you happiness. Um, And actually I'm super fired up. I'm going to have this woman on my podcast in a couple of weeks that has a whole class at Yale about happiness. It's become the most popular class in the history of the school. And they, and like, so much of it is about the things that we think are going to make us happier and actually don't. And I think I have a really good perspective on like, you know, just not needing to be like more rich and famous, but alone in the middle of nowhere or in a city I don't like or away from the people I care about. Um, and so I'm just kind of letting that guide me. And then, you know, occasionally having like massive amounts of FOMO when the people that have chosen other paths are in cool places with cool people doing cool things that I've sort of prevented myself from getting but um you know there's a real push and pull with that i'm sure there's times when they would like to be a little bit more in a bubble away from being able to be available every second of every day from you know their bosses well you did say something as we were having this conversation that piqued my interest you said if it was that dream job which is interesting to me because you've done so many things you're an analyst you're a writer you've produced things you've developed features you've basically worked on every big show at the network (laughs) so what is that dream gig for you um Part of my uh, problem is I don't 100% know, but the general idea is being able to combine my interest in interviewing people, which I love to do for my podcast, with my lifelong desire to do Saturday Night Live type stuff. Now, it wouldn't be sketches and that kind of thing as much as um, 
being able to do almost like a weekend update, over-the-shoulder commentary, go to an interview, maybe go to some pre-taped segments. I love the idea of bringing a more satirical tone to ESPN. I think it's kind of crazy that it's a you know billions and billions of dollar company and a lot of the content kind of is similar in structure and format. I think there's so much room to do some storytelling that isn't feature reporting where it's very serious and pulling at the heartstrings or is kind of luxury in tone. And instead is more like what you might see on like the daily show or full frontal when they do those field pieces and send people out and you're learning about something and it's, and it's insightful, but it's also done with a twinkle in the eye and a very satirical bent. Um, I would love to do stuff like that. That really ties back to my work in improv and second city. And then brings in investigative reporting and interviewing, like all the things that I love. So some kind of show that would involve all those things would really be the dream job, like a, like a late night talk show kind of vibe. And maybe it's still around sports, but if it wasn't, that wouldn't be the end of the world either later in my career. But, you know, it's, it's all a matter of timing and it's also a matter of ESPN or anywhere else wanting that content and wanting me to be the one who does it. So we'll see. And even though there's always going to be that faction of people who are screaming, stick to sports, I do think a show like the one you just described would be an interesting space to have that confluence of topics. And with the current volatility of today's world, you've always seemed to be able to find a way to get your point of view across when it comes to issues that matter to you, whether it's on social media or other platforms. But have you been able to find a way to navigate these waters where you feel like you can speak your mind on social issues without ESPN saying, whoa, Sarah, you need to calm down on that? I would say for the most part. I have certainly <laughs> gotten some talking to. Oh, I, have my, I, have, I have not uh, perfectly navigated said waters. Um yeah, I mean, it's really hard right now um, because everything has become become politicized. Like even in the thing I was just telling you, I wasn't necessarily thinking of politics. It could have been the way sports and social issues connect. It could have been women in sports. It could be the unwritten rules of baseball being stupid and let's dig into why they still exist. Like it wouldn't have to be political just because of the examples I gave of the shows that do it. But, um, but yeah, I mean, I think the problem is, is that there are so many things that we were able to talk about unfettered without worrying about where the line needed to be drawn before the current presidency. It was, especially at ESCNW, we talk a lot about issues of feminism and, and domestic violence, sexual assault, um, uh, LGBTQ issues, all that stuff. And the more divided we've become as a country and the more everything, even just down to like a word choice, has been assigned to left or right makes it so much harder to talk about things without people immediately turning it into something um, based on either disagreeing with you or agreeing with you. And so I think I really try to pick my battles. I know I'm not going to change anybody's mind on social media. And so that was an important lesson for me to learn too. And I think ESPN in some ways was, was right about limiting that stuff in the sense that like, you're not probably going to convince a lot of people based on throwaway commentary that you really feel like you need to post. But I think we can have conversations, like real conversations, and I think we can speak up for human rights violations mm -hmm. and speak up for our colleagues and our friends and our teammates that are uh, Muslim or uh, immigrant or LGBTQ or trans or female or any other uh, you know, part of our country and world right now that are being discriminated against and marginalized. It doesn't have to be a political stance. Like the fact that I have colleagues that are trans or LGBTQ that are being put in danger 
Um, that's a real easy side to pick. And I don't think it should mean that I'm violating anything to stand with them. And so I think I've tried to really care about the things that come down to that kind of thing and less about let me attack one specific policy or quote or whatever that I disagree with, um, because then it comes down to, you know, a more clear violation of what ESPN is trying to, to, to like, limit. Um, and they're in a tough spot. Every company is in a tough spot right now. And so I, I'm trying to be mindful of that while also not feeling complicit by not speaking out against things that are, like, deeply disturbing. Sure. So in that same vein, you were part of the More Than Mean campaign, which I thought was incredibly impactful. And for those who haven't seen it, you need to go check it out. But it's a video where you really pulled the curtain back on the hate and, frankly, vitriol that women deal with online. So maybe your future show could do something like that, where you find a creative way to shine a light on issues that people are encountering in today's world. Yeah, I would love that. And I like... Uh, you know, I think the guy who created that, my uh, friend Brad Burke, who I met through my husband, uh, you know, he was really smart in the way he presented it. And I think that's sometimes what's required in order to get people to, like, change their perspective or at least to listen to other people is to present it in a way that they haven't heard or seen it before. And maybe that'll make them kind of, um, you know, understand a little bit better what, what other people are fighting for. I mean, speaking of the More Than Mean campaign, you would think after you guys put that out and it had such a visceral reaction from people being like, oh, my God, women are dealing with this online, that people would stop <laughs> being so rude and disgusting. But if anything, has probably gotten worse. So I need a tutorial yeah. from you because I don't ever know how to handle <laughs> this. The advice I've gotten is don't engage with a troll. That's what they want. Or if someone says something gross to you, just ignore it. But how do you deal with this, Sarah? Because when I was going through your Instagram today, research for this, mm. and I've been looking at your Twitter, mm. the things that people say to you are so upset. I, I get so upset reading it. I don't know how you, how you deal with it every day. Well, I will say on Instagram, at least I can delete things and block people like instantly. Yes. And it's a little bit easier. But uh, Twitter, you know, part of it is like at this point, I've blocked so many people. <laughs> well, I actually mute people unless they're full out like homophobic, racist like completely disgusting and pervy. Otherwise I mute them, then they don't have the satisfaction. So other people can see how mean and rude they are to me. I can. So I'm like, great, you're just yelling at a brick wall. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, one thing I'll say is Lindy West wrote this great book, Shrill, and had written many times for Jezebel about her interactions with trolls. And she and I, I think, share some similar sensibilities about it, which are different than a lot of other people, which is, yes, I understand don't feed the trolls. Yes, I understand that's what they want. But it's really unfair to ask women or anyone else who's dealing with this to just internalize and digest this stuff all day long without any recourse, without responding, without drawing attention to it, without you know, clapping back or making fun if you feel like it. And so that's really what drives me is this decision. Like, if I get to a point where I don't want to just sit and take it all day, I'm going to pick and choose who I respond to and why. Now, I mute and block a ton of people. So whenever someone says, don't feed the trolls, I'm like, oh, honey, you have no idea how many people I already just ignored. <laughs> this person I chose because either they're, you know, they're repeating an opinion that I see far too often that I want to have an opportunity to tell everybody else why it's wrong and here's, here's the problem with it. Or, you know, they, they make it so easy to make fun of them that it makes me feel good to, like, make fun of their grammar or to have a funny comeback that everybody else can sort of, like, see is a, a woman who's empowered enough to fight back and not just, you know, shrink under it. Um, and then I think there's a lot of people on online that are sort of like floating in the middle. 
they don't know how to feel about a lot of things. And they're maybe not the ones speaking up, but they're paying attention. And so if you're able to speak back to someone about some BS that they're saying or some terrible opinion or some rudeness that they have for you, um, those people in the middle are kind of watching and like, oh, okay, I never thought of it that way, or that's an interesting, you know. And so I'm, I'm sometimes just advocating for, first of all, other women who are dealing with it to see that they're not alone and that they don't have to just take it. And then also for people who maybe are still making up their mind about women working in sports or why it's not okay to say X or Y. And so for me, that's the best approach. For other people, it might not be. Um, but, you know, and also I tend to think of the people who are doing that um, in a sympathetic way because I think if you're happy with who you are and you're satisfied with your life and you are doing your best, you want other people to feel good and you want to lift them up around you. Like I'm obsessed with Lizzo right now. Oh, and like one of her one of her lines is like, if I'm shining, everybody got to shine. And like that's how I approach life. Like that's why people are like, oh, are you jealous of blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, nope, actually, I'm going to tell you every time my colleagues are doing amazing things because there's room for all of us. And if we buy into that BS that like, if Mina's great or Katie Nolan's great or someone's great, then there's no room for me. Then we're just fulfilling the prophecy of people who don't want to make room for plenty of women who want there to be just like one spot. So if you're happy and you feel good about yourself, you want to lift other people up with you. And if you're not, you want to take them down because your insecurities and your jealousy are driving that animosity. So I tend to feel sorry for them. I'm like, nobody who's genuinely happy and well-rounded and has friends and family and likes who they are spends their days online telling other people, like, you're fat and ugly and stupid and I hope you die and whatever. Right. And so it's just easier to approach if instead of feeling, like, angry at them for that, you feel sad for them. That's such good perspective. And I loved what you said about – if I shine, everybody else has to shine. When I initially took this job back in St. Louis, part of the reason that I did it is because there was no females in our lineup. And I would be the first one mm-hmm. full time. And I remember talking love to someone. That. I know. And I, I was like, well, oh. I don't love that you're the first, but I do love that you're crushing it and breaking down like- barriers. Geez, it is 2018, and I'm going to be the first uh-huh. one. And I remember mm-hmm. having this conversation with someone that I respected in the industry, and I'm like, you know, I don't know what to do because there was other opportunities at ESPN that had presented themselves, and I thought, should I go back home and do this? And he said to me, what does the lineup look like? And by the way, when I say this comment, this is not disparaging anyone I work with because I love them. And he was like, are they all straight middle-aged white guys? And I was like, yeah. And he's like, well, you'll be the only one at the table that's different. So pull a seat up at the yeah. table. And I thought to myself, yeah. he is so right. I need to take a seat at this table. So now all I want to do instead of pulling up a seat at the table is I want to pull up a seat for somebody else. We need to squish Absolutely. together and make room for more seats at the table. That's the way that I view it. I completely agree. And, like, my hometown station in Chicago, like, when I joined on just to do updates, I was the first female voice in 11 years that was regular. And I left maybe five years ago, and there isn't a new one there. Like, I don't think they've ever had a female host of a single show, um, not counting fill-ins on the weekend. Um, and so it's still, like, I would say that local radio is the last fashion of the old boys club in sports. It is by far still the most behind on diversity for people of color, LGBTQ, women, et cetera, and perspective, point of view, and uh, and approach. I think it's it's still woefully behind in most places. And nationally, you know, sometimes the radio, I try to figure out, is it preventing me from doing other stuff? And, and how, do, how do I balance it with my TV and everything else I'm doing? And then I also think to myself, I'm the only woman that has a show on ESPN every day, right? There's, there's a couple women who are on weekend shows, which is how I got my start. But if I leave, then 
there's nobody there's nobody representing that for girls out there who are listening. And when I was coming up, it didn't even occur to me to work in sports because I did not see any women doing it. I remember watching like NBA inside stuff with Summer Sanders, and that was it. Uh, we didn't watch ESPN in my house growing up, and there there are women like Linda Cohn and some others who really broke down barriers. But like, I grew up watching Bulls coverage, which was all men playing, all men talking, all men writing, all men announcing, and it just it didn't even happen until after I was in college, moved to LA, was trying to be an actress and do comedy, that I took a class that kind of gave me a, a look into oh, would I ever want to work in sports? doing similar stuff. Um, and, and the fact that it took that long is because I didn't see anyone doing it. And so I, I, I want to be that person so that other people don't have to, have to you know, feel like they're not invited. All right. One of the most daunting tasks of planning any kind of get together is the bar. We've all done it. You go to the store, you just start piling things into your cart, beer, wine, booze, whatever you can find. You're literally guessing at what and how much to get. So wouldn't it be nice if you could just pick up the phone and call someone, have them take care of it for you. And that's exactly what Liquid Spirits new DIY service does. St. Louis's premier beverage catering service now offers DIY packages. So not only will they take your guest count and create a great supply of your favorite beverages, they can even deliver it to you and it's chilled how about that they're gonna literally take care of everything for you so your party's gonna be awesome you're gonna look great and pull together and you didn't have to do anything minimal effort so the next time you're planning an event give the professionals at liquid spirits a call 314-347-7297 or just visit them on facebook and instagram at liquid spirits stl so how were you able to break into the industry? Because I know when I speak to young girls, that's their main question. How mm-hmm. am I able to do this? And how do I get that first opportunity? So what was that moment for you? Um, you know, I had a really weird path because I was, so I was working at uh, working at FS1. Actually, it was just Fox Sports at the time, Fox Sports Net in L.A. Uh, doing a nightly highlight show. I would watch games. Uh, pick the highlights and then write what the anchor person would say about them for this nightly highlight show, which was a great first gig because I had to watch every sport and understand every sport and like know what the storylines were. Um, and then I was doing some writing for some blogs for free, and I started doing a little bit of fantasy football online show for the producers who were doing uh, Rome is Burning at the time. So that was a little bit of like a way to get my foot in the door. Um, and then very long story short, you guys can look it up online, although every result you get that doesn't have me talking about it will be completely woefully inaccurate. But that being said, I did this like Super Bowl stunt um, to go see my Bears in the Super Bowl that I did hoping it would be behind the scenes to get like a radio station or somewhere else to send me to the game because I was poor. And it's a long story short. Then uh, because of that, it ended up blowing up. And I did like probably about 45 different media interviews with Access Hollywood and Inside Edition and Cold Pizza and all these different radio stations and newspapers. And I used every interview to make sure that I was like pushing that I worked in sports and that I loved sports and that I was going to the game because I was a big fan and blah, blah, blah. Um, And I kept all the information for all the program directors, producers, people I worked with on those interviews. And then I started a little, not a newsletter, but like maybe once every two or three weeks, I would send out an email to everybody that I had gathered and write, here's what I'm working on. Like, here's a link to the fantasy football show I just did. Here's a story I wrote for this website. Just trying to keep myself top of mind for the possibility of jobs that opened up. Um, I decided I wanted to move back to Chicago from L.A. to start working on the teams that I grew up covering. And uh, there was a startup website, and that was, you know, one of the places that I looked and worked there for a year while doing a, a local TV show and some local radio. 
And then um, I had interviewed with ESPN 1000 when I had first moved back just to see if they had any room at anywhere. They didn't yet, but they kept me in mind, heard me and saw me on other outlets once I moved back. And then they reached out when the opening for the um, uh, update anchor came. And that's how I got that gig. So I didn't even really pursue it that time. So, I mean, I had about a year and a half earlier, um, but they didn't have any openings. So then when they, they ended up getting one, they called me in. So, um, again, the Super Bowl story is very long and complicated. And if you Google it, you will get tons of misinformation about how I'm a attention whore who sold her body, uh, which is not at all the story. Uh, so if you can find either my own writing on it or on my website, or there's a Jeff Perlman interview that actually I kind of took the time to explain it. But uh, uh, I was actually really worried at the time that that would uh, derail my, my interest in, in working in the industry because it became fodder for all the like old school sports blogs back in the day. And it was so received differently than I thought it would be because in my mind, I knew what my intentions were and what kind of person I was. And I didn't quite, this was before things went viral. This is before Twitter and everything else. I didn't realize that anybody out in the world with no information about me could perceive me as they wished and then create a narrative about who they thought the person who would do this funny stunt would be. Okay, so you're saying these headlines painted the picture of this girl sold herself online for Super Bowl tickets, but you're saying that's misinformation. So if you could, please clarify for our listeners, why isn't that the case? What was your intent there? Okay, so um, my friends in L.A. who are also Chicago fans, we all decided we would go if they won. So, like, they're wrapping down the, you know, the game to send them to the Super Bowl. I book my flight. My friend from Cornell lives about an hour from Miami. He's like, you can stay with us. I call my friends, let's do this, blah, blah, blah. And they're all like, oh, I can't afford it now. Or I think I'm actually going to go home to Chicago and watch with my family. So now I'm left alone. And my friend lives far away. I'm by myself. I'm like, shit. Well, okay, let me just look into buying tickets. And I, I was naive and poor. And I thought Super Bowl tickets were maybe like 500 bucks. Okay. So then I start <laughs> looking. I'm like, $5,000? What? Right, right. Uh, I hadn't really thought this through, honestly. So, um I've, I've got a plane ticket and, you know, whatever. And I'm talking to my coworker at Fox Sports Net, and he's like, uh, he was joking about, I was joking about how Screech from Saved by the Bell was in foreclosure on his house. And he started a website for people to donate money. And he would send him like a t-shirt to help him save his house. And I was like, yeah, but I'm not Screech. Like, I can't, I don't know, like search engine optimization. So I wouldn't know how to get people to the site. Once they were there, why would they want to give me money to like go to the game? Like, you know, how do I draw attention to this? And my coworker joking, and this was after I exhausted, like asked my boss, are we covering it? Can you send me for work? Blah, blah, blah. And then uh, my friend was like, oh, you should just like go on eBay or something. And I was like, oh, hmm. So I had dressed as a Bears cheerleader for Halloween that year because my best friend was like a five, four, tiny little blonde. And I'm like a six foot, you know, brunette. And so I dressed as a cheerleader and she dressed as a football player. Like that was the joke, right? She had the big pads and whatever. Mm -hmm. So that was the like visual ha ha. And, you know, to be fair, I looked hot in the outfit. And so I was like, this will draw more attention than if I don't pay for the photo part of the ad. So you pay for an ad on eBay and I put it where people would be selling tickets. And I said, you know, I'm a huge super fan of the Bears. Like, take me to the game as your date. And then I put, I'm not an escort. I'm a huge fan. I'll sit on the back of a peanut cart. You know, everybody who goes to the Super Bowl is just corporate shills. They don't even care about the game. Like, I really want to go. And I didn't think anyone would do that. What I did is then I went to about 10 different radio stations, and I sent them, you guys are always looking for content around the Super Bowl. Look at this crazy girl who's, like, trying to get find her way to the game. Because I know that that's, 
you know, combination of like companies looking for some way to spend something before the game plus, you know, ad revenue and stuff pays off. So I'm thinking a radio station will send me, you know, something like that. I go to bed, I wake up, I have 400 text messages. Oh my God. Uh, and emails because I did not really understand it. It ended up on the stock, the New York Stock Exchange IM system where like all the dudes were sending it to each other like you should take her. It ended up on the Chicago where my friends from Cornell are messaging. My, my parents and family were like, what the fuck? Um, and <laughs> I'm sure I was your like, dad oh, was pumped. <laughs> yeah, I was like, I haven't really thought this through. Um, but a lot of those emails were different media companies, like let's, that, and including all the radio stations that I had written, like, let's do an interview. And within two days, Axe Body Spray and their company, Edelman, here in Chicago that does their PR message and was like, we'll send you the game pay for your flight, your ticket, your hotel, your booze, everything. We want you to pick a guy to take with you because that's Axe's thing. Like, guys, you know, Axe helps guys get the girl. And so then I got to bring two of my girlfriends. We had a contest. And they also were like, we want to spin it. Like, people are making this seem, like, really salacious. But it's just like a big fan trying to think of a clever way to get to a game. And we know that guys would do the exact same thing. Like, anyone who's a super fan would want to, you know, get there. So we want to have guys have to enter this contest to show that, like, anyone would do this to, 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 like, win a trip. So then we had a contest. We picked the guy. So I got to go with two of my girlfriends and him. And it was awesome. And we had a blast other than the Bears losing and sucking. Um, and it opened up all those doors for me. So And it won, actually, like, a PR uh, weekly, like, runner-up for campaign of the year because they spent, I think, $17,000 on our tickets and everything else and ended up getting over $2 million worth of ad revenue and all the different coverage that they got. Um, so, you know, it worked out great other than the fact that it, if someone wants to troll me, they'll use it against me as some sort of proof that I sold my body or I'm a whore or whatever else without knowing any of the details about it or how it came about or why I used that photo, which was because I had written a remake of the Super Bowl shuffle for Kissing Susie Colbert, which was a website at the time, and then had gotten all this response. And because I was like, oh, okay, this is attention getting. Like, it's just, it, when you look at it in totality without any nuance, it sounds pretty crazy. Uh, in the moment, each step of it was sort of like, oh, okay, I guess I'll do this, or let me, you know, not really realizing that it would turn into what it did. If someone trolls you, you can just say, honestly, I'm a marketing savant. <laughs> yes. Or or I don't think that someone has jobs in radio and writing for a decade plus because of some photo of them that's 12 years old. Like, I don't think you keep jobs and keep moving up in this industry because of that. So if you think that's really how I why I have a career, then, um, you know, you're you're fooling yourself. Right. So at the end of your podcast, which if people aren't already listening to it, you need to head to Apple Podcasts, download it, listen to it, subscribe, rate, review, you know the drill. But it's called That's What She Said with Sarah Spain. It's a great podcast. But at the end of your podcast, you grill your subjects during a feature called The Spanish Inquisition. You give them 10 tough, random questions. It always provides good answers. So to wrap this up, let's turn the tables, and I'm going to present you with a little Spanish Inquisition. A couple rapid-fire questions for you. Cool? Yes. Question number one. By the way, we had Diana Rossini on the podcast, and we presented her with the same question. And the answer we came up with for her was interesting. I think yours might be similar. But question number one, if Sarah Spain was a cocktail, what cocktail would she be? Ooh, okay. So I would be a cocktail that I had in Porto, Portugal, that involved this, like, port wine, but it was, like, a sweet rosé port wine. And then... um, uh, a hot pepper 
like a spicy hot pepper that cut the sweetness of the drink. And it had some sort of fruit juice and stuff. So basically mostly sweet, but um, it'll have some kick to it when it needs to. That's so funny because I said I envisioned Diana Rossini as a jalapeno watermelon margarita. Yes, it's just like that, except for tequila makes me puke, so no tequila. (laughs) All right, there you go. Question number two, you obviously talked about your love for Saturday Night Live. You're a very funny person. But in your opinion, who is the funniest person at ESPN? Ooh, oh, that's so hard. There's so many people. Well, I will say Pat McAfee is a recent addition to our college football coverage, and he's up there for sure. Uh, Katie Nolan's very funny. Mina Kimes is hilarious. Dan Lebetard is very funny, and especially in a very smart way. Um, obviously, Stu got. I mean, I, I'm giving you way too many answers because you asked for just one. So, um, but who sits on the throne if you had to pick one person? I'm sure I'm missing so many people right now, too. Like, I'm not even keeping my brain open to all the other possibilities. I know there's a lot of sharp people oh. there. Yeah, and I'm going to hurt someone's feelings, or I'm going to, like, hang up and be like, ah, how did I forget this person? Um, I think I'm, I think I'm going to have to go with Dan. That's a good pick. It's a, it's a different kind of humor, but that's who I'm going with. Question number three. Who's your favorite person you've ever interviewed, slash, who's the white whale? Who's your dream interview? Oh, well, these are impossible questions. <laughs> um it's funny because I used to have like your favorite thing you covered and it was impossible. And then, and then I covered the Cubs winning the world series and now it's real easy. Yeah. I mean, I don't think <laughs> you're like, ever going to top that. Century years plus in the making. Yeah. Um, my favorite interview, uh, you know, I'm just going to go with what popped into my head, even though it may not be true, but if it pops into your head, then some part of you is at least drawn to it. Um, I had Michael Schur on the podcast. And he is the creator of Parks and Rec and Brooklyn Nine-Nine and The Good Place. And he was a writer for SNL and a writer for The Office. And he's Moe's on The Office. Um, And I just am so fascinated by people who are that talented and brilliant. And also because, you know, he was was a writer anonymously on a sports blog as Ken Tremendous uh, on Fire Joe Morgan. And he has such an interesting past. And uh, I would say he was one of my favorite interviews ever, for sure. And then my dream interview, uh, well, clearly Michael Jordan. Clearly. I thought that that's where you would go. Although I will say that I actually don't think that interview would be as good as my other dream interview, which is Stephen Colbert, who I find to be just one of the smartest, most charming, fascinating, funny, wonderful human beings that I've ever like witnessed living in the world. And so I think that would actually be a much better interview than any conversation with Jordan. Okay, next one. If you had to choose, would you rather cheer for the St. Louis Cardinals or the Green Bay Packers? Oh, oh God. Oh, that's so easy. <laughs> I respect the Green Bay Packers. Aaron <laughs> Rodgers is my favorite football player in the league, which is a totally blasphemous to say, thing to say as a Bears player, but he's as a Bears fan, but he's nice and he's smart and he's incredibly talented and he's woke and he's, you know, thoughtful. And um, I do, I don't care for Packers fans. Because uh, we can't ever like each other's fans, but I respect the team and its players. The Cardinals, no, thank you, never ever, never ever, huh? I mean, I convinced you to cheer for the Blues during the Stanley Cup playoffs, so I thought maybe you endeared yourself a little bit to St. Louis. There may be a chance, but never ever, huh? No, you don't need it. I only <laughs> cheered for the Blues because Boston doesn't need to win anything else. And as someone who had people jump aboard the Cubs bandwagon because they understood what it meant to us. As Blues fans, you know, you'd put in a lot of time and energy and love to a team that had given you nothing back. So I felt like you deserved it. 
The Cardinals deserve nothing. Okay. I can I can handle that. Well, speaking of that, last one. <laughs> As you know, we in St. Louis have no NFL team after the Rams were brutally ripped from us. And for years yeah. I've been dabbling, like, should I get on board with the team? A lot of the, the players that I cheered for are cycling out of the league, so I really don't have any laundry to cheer for. And I've kind of been thinking about the Bears because I went to Illinois. Mm-hmm. There's just so many tie-ins there that I think could work. But then I think, but I hate the Cubs and hate the Blackhawks, so would this work? So my final question to you, if I were to decide to cheer for the Bears, do you think that's kind of a blasphemous thing to do because of the St. Louis-Chicago rivalries? No, and here's why. Because as I mentioned before, Aaron Rodgers is my favorite player, even though he's on the rival team. And my side piece team in the NBA, while the Bulls continue to be terrible and should be relegated to the G League, <laughs> is the Milwaukee Bucks. And, the, and as you know, the Chicago-Wisconsin rivalry is massive as well. And I have managed to put aside the existing you know, rivalries to understand that the current iteration of said team or whatever is, is someone I can root for because I love Giannis. So I think you'd be able to do it particularly because of your collegiate roots and all the ties between, you know, Illinois and all that. So I think, I think you're in a good spot to do that. I would just be wary of being too vocal about it to people in St. Louis, or if you are, I think you need to come up with a pretty strong committed response to why you can't be wishy-washy about it or they'll tell your part. Yeah, I can't just say I already have orange and blue in my closet. Back off. Yeah, or like, well, I'm thinking about it. You have to be like, oh, no, you know, when I was in college, blah, blah, blah. And also, you know, my best friend is Mitchell Trubisky. And, you know, I'm related to Kyle Long, right? Just come up with some good, you know, lies. (laughs) Well, Sarah, this was so fun. Thank you so much for taking the time out to do this. Enjoyed our conversation. And we'll hopefully talk to you soon. Me too. Sounds good. Thanks, lady. Great holiday parties, there's only two ingredients that you really need, a well-decorated tree and a great bar. So let St. Louis's premier beverage catering service help. Liquid Spirits can bring everything you need for a great bar right to your office, home, or venue. And the best part, you get to let their bartenders cut off that guest who's a little sloppy. They may have been celebrating a little too much, a little overserved. You don't have to do it. You don't have to be the bad guy. So let Liquid Spirits do it for you. If you mention us, mention Small Talk, you can get a free package upgrade. I mean, how about that? Those holiday parties, they always creep up on you. So give Liquid Spirits a call. Get ahead of the game. You can call them at 314-347-7297. Start planning that epic holiday party now. You can also check them out online. Facebook and Instagram at Liquid Spirits STL or follow them on Twitter at Spirits Liquid. You know what time it is. Head to Apple Podcasts. Click on Small Talk, Black Box, White Writing. Subscribe to it, read it, preferably five stars, and leave a review. Like this person who says, top quality pod, five stars. Did you ever wonder what a podcast hosted by Meadow Soprano would be like? Well, this is it with co-hosts that bring you into a good college friends group chat. Small talk hits it big. Are you offended by the Meadow Soprano reference? I didn't know if I should be when I I initially read this. So part of me thinks uh, Italian, great dad, brown hair. Yeah, you kind of look like her. I could kind of see it. Yeah. But she sucks. She sucks. She sucks. Both those kids suck Both so bad. Both those kids. Bad. Oh my God. AJ oh, sucks. And I know, you know, okay, mental illness, he's dealing with Whatever. that. Okay, but what, okay, even without that, that kid sucks. You can still have mental illness and suck. <laughs> right? It's so true. He sucks. He sucks. I, he sucks. And Meadow, my God, so entitled. And so overly Jr. emotional. What oh my God. Everything is a thing with her. 
just chill out for once. Are we going to just gloss over the fact that I said Jackie Jr.? What a babe. <laughs> Yo. Oh, no spoilers. Yeah, I was going to say, don't reveal. <laughs> but yeah, he, no, hot. Def, hot. Def hot so, dude. 10. Yeah. For Oh, for sure. Yeah, she got kicked her coverage with that What one. is he doing these days, that actor? I, who is that? Do I, you... He's only Jackie Jr. <laughs> When you have an iconic role like that, what's left to prove? A lot of the people on that show didn't really do anything other than that show, right. for the most part. And I guess that makes sense. That happens a lot in like really good television where you get typecasted. Like, Christopher, do you see him in anything? No, because he's Christopher. <laughs> Imagine him in any other role than that. Spoiler alert, if you haven't watched The Sopranos, do not listen We're doing to a good job with no spoilers. Right, but this I have to say. Okay. Two of my most favorite scenes in any sort of film or cinema arena, whether it's a movie or TV, happen with Christopher Moltisanti. Number one, Pine Barrens. I won't say why. All I have to say Fantastic is Pine, episode. Pine Barrens. Number two, and here's where the spoiler comes in. Again, tune out if you don't want to know this. When he killed Cosette. <laughs> and Tony, noted animal lover, was so furious and had to have the talk with him about Cosette. Oh, my God. Unbelievable scene. That was the closest I thought. He came to, to personally being murdered yes. on the show. And there was Tony's a few times hands. where it got pretty dicey for him. You I think what? that was the closest. Yeah, it's amazing <laughs> that Tony didn't kill him right then. Was that poor Cosette? Really sad. Also, you bring up Pine Barrens. Imagine Polly Walnuts in any other role. You can't. He is only Paul. He was born to play Polly Walnuts. Yeah, if I ever saw Polly Walnuts, the actor who played him in real life, and he didn't have the two <laughs> white wisps and or a pinky ring on his finger, I'd be greatly disappointed. So when the 20-year anniversary of The Sopranos, I forget if it was like earlier this year. I think, yeah, it was earlier this year. They had a bunch of specials where they had the whole cast together and stuff like that. And that guy still commands the room, man. He's the best. You got to go. It's on YouTube. You got to go look it up. Yeah, I think well. ABC did a thing where they had all of the living cast members in there and he just kills it. He, by far, best guy in the room. So even though we got five stars, I should be offended by <laughs> the Metal Soprano <laughs> she reference. She sucks. Yeah, man, she's a, do she I sucks. She sucks. Well, eh. Don't answer that. All right, next one. A breath of fresh air, five stars. I'm a little disappointed that I'm late to listening to this podcast, but nevertheless, I made it. What I really enjoy is the Midwest charm and the confluence of personalities that mesh into this wonderful pod. The conversation is very topical, and it often resonates with me greatly. This is my jam for the summer, and I look forward to all the future episodes. Hashtag Lake Life. Yeah, Lake Over Beach. I've said it on the record. Lake over beach. I didn't get to even fully like dive in on why I thought the lakes are better than the beaches. Um, but I, I, you know, I've made my point clear at this point. Lakes are better than beaches. I enjoy both, but I think, and obviously, this is a very biased opinion based on some of the group in the Midwest. There's just such a nostalgia factor about the lake. Mm -hmm. Going to the beach is fun, it's awesome. I enjoy it, but I don't know. The lake is just so low-key. I yeah. guess the beach can be low-key, too. Eh, it really depends on the beach. I think beaches, in general, are busier than lakes. Yeah, yeah. Like, lakes are way more secluded, You I find think. a cove. You yeah. kind of do your own thing, chill out for the day. And at least where I'm from in New England, a lot of the lakes are set up where everyone has a lake house right on the water. And... That's such an underrated aspect of it where you can stock your house with everything you need and the convenience of being able to get in the water and walk like 30 steps into your little lake house and grab, you know, 
little bowl of goldfish if you're hungry, or maybe uh, you're a little thirsty, you need a ginger ale. Uh, you know that's that's underrated. You, you you can't really do that at the beach. It's it's much harder to have a beach house on the beach than it is to have a lake house on the lake, in my opinion. So, but actually, getting in the water is much more accessible on the beach, right? You come down, you throw down your chair, your towel, whatever. Boom, mm-hmm. you pop in. The lake is a process. You got to get on the boat. You got to get the boat ready. You got to mm-hmm. load the cooler on the boat. You got to get the life rafts on the boat. You got to get XYZ ready to go. You got to get the music pumped up. Yeah. Then you got to, once you're done for the day, you've got to unload the cooler, unload the rafts, unload the life vest. You got to wipe down the boat. You mm. got to tie it to the dock. There's a lot of work that goes into lake life. That's true. You know, one thing we've never talked about on this podcast, and I have no experience with, frankly, because I don't have enough money for this. Apparently, boats are the worst investment you can make. Yes. Like, that's like a known thing. Like, every grandpa tells their grandkid that at some point. Like, the worst investment you can make in your life is buying a boat. Yeah. And, some uh, cost. <laughs> it's, it's one of those things that every rich person, I feel like, when you're like super rich, you got to have a boat. Yeah, because boats are awesome. But it's like when you're in that like in between rich and like, kind of rich spot i feel like those kind of rich people also buy boats and they regret it immediately um i hope to one day be one of those kind of rich guys that regrets buying a boat because that will mean i have some money life hack find a friend with the boat such a good hack they should make an app where you can like match with people on a boat wait is this a million dollar idea (laughs) friending people with boats it already organizes like all the people you know and you can oh these people have boats these people have pools these people have beach houses these people have lake houses uh, these people have ski homes type type of thing and uh, it, when you're in the mood for one you just go on the app you see who has what so then you don't have to really think about it yeah I'm sure those people would be pumped <laughs> that all their freeloader friends can see what kind of real estate they have true because those people all probably have all of those things so they don't need the app so yeah it's yeah they're not maybe the app sign is up. called freeloader. <laughs> I think it's called Airbnb. That's a great I mean, point. Pay for Airbnb. Yeah, but find a friend with the boat. Freeloader's a good name for an app. I'm going to just say it right now. But what is the app? All right, Zuckerberg. Like, you know, it's just an idea. We're working on it. We're workshopping. <laughs> no idea is a bad idea, right? Isn't that a thing? Yeah, they say that. But I, I've heard some really bad ideas in True. my day. Yep, from me. We can just say it. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> I used to pitch things sometimes for Rasil and Cannell, and Ryan would just look at me. He was just—he wouldn't even say a word. He'd just look at me and be like, "All right, moving on." I tried to pitch some stuff in those email chains, and sometimes they wouldn't get brought up at all in the meetings until like days later. And Ryan would make like a passing comment about it, as if it was like, and you know, it was funny when Freeze Pops like sent that thing along, thinking it was like an idea we'd do, blah blah blah, and then just move on. And no one would say anything in the back of my head and be like, "Wait, what did? I, what did he just say? What?" So. Hey, yeah, maybe there are bad ideas out there. Maybe that saying needs to go away. (laughs) We're ending it here. It ends here. We're never saying that on this show ever again. No idea is a bad idea. It ends now. Now. Lots of ideas suck, just like (laughs) Meta Soprano. Yes. Amen. Well, thank you again to Sarah Spain. Thank you to Tom. And thank you for listening. We will be back in action next week. Post-show pod squad together. Do not forget, it's an AMA for Steve because he big-timed us at our pod meetup. If you have a question for Steve Cerruti, shoot us a DM on Instagram. I'm at msmallman. Your boy, TC Fresh. Y-A-B-O-I, TC Fresh. 
That still kills me every time. <laughs> we have already gotten a few really good ones, oh but we have God. a week to crowdsource some more, so send them in. But until then, good night, Boston. Thanks for listening to Small Talk. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts or the Podcast One app.